So what is this part of Asheville? Where are we? We're right in the center of downtown on kind of one of the side streets, uh, Lexington Avenue. And we are coming up on um, Pack Square, which is like the very center, I'd say, of downtown Asheville. What's the Cliff Notes version of how Asheville got to be up here in the mountains and yeah. uh, yet home to many ecosystems of people? 1900s, 1920s was the original like boom of Asheville. All the yeah. buildings that you see in downtown here are from that, and there's a lot of Art Deco. Yeah. Um, architecture uh, because of the timing so there's a lot of like art deco history uh, in architecture here and then with the Great Depression you know that's when like it halted that was chef Katie Button telling me about another moment of calamity another boom interrupted in Asheville North Carolina this was actually recorded a year and a half ago or so, a full year before COVID would once again bring Asheville's downtown to a total standstill. This time it was restaurants, even more than retail, that took the big hit. It cost Katie and her husband, Felix Mayana, who run Asheville's most well-known restaurant group, a lot. It cost them staff, it cost them the bagel shop we talk about in this episode, but she took this challenge head on not just for her restaurants, but for her entire industry. Not only did she turn the former bagel shop into a kitchen for delivery and nationwide shipping of her Spanish delicacies, the local paper called it an ingenious plan, but she has been a relentless advocate on television and online for the Restaurants Act, for aid and support for the industry that she loves. So, yes, History might keep knocking you down, but who out there is going to get right back up? Hamon and Penn at the ready. Katie Button, that is who. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you're listening to The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. There it is. Now we've transformed into podcast studio at the Hayward Park Hotel in H.U. Yeah. Which, you know, it's funny you're talking about, like, the eras of Asheville. feels like a lot of buildings have, like, a very express second or third life to them. And this one's pretty funny because they, you know, they have the pictures of the old Bon Marche right. department store that it used to be. And they've got, like, some, you know, some dashing menswear from the 30s or 20s that is on display out there. And it's all a little cattywampus, but they do a good job of explaining why and, right. and how, exactly. how it all fits together. But that's a town that's lived a lot of lives, I guess. Yeah, and as I said earlier, I mean, the 20s, the 1920s was Asheville's, like, prime moment. You know, it's when everything was getting built and there was a, a lot going on. And um, both the buildings that we have our uh, restaurants in were built around that time between, you know, 1913 and 1920. And uh, just in that like boom era, which is pretty amazing. And I'm so glad that they're still here. So they get to enjoy another life, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of places you said a lot of towns had declared bankruptcy and they would have just raised downtown. It would have been cheaper to have like destroyed old buildings and like built up new ones. But now people are more into historic preservation. It makes sense. There's tax incentives for it. it it's like 
I actually think that that is amazing and has saved Asheville's downtown because there aren't that many cities that you go to that have so many historic buildings yeah. in a very centralized location. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just had an amazing piece today about the uh, crimes against architecture that were committed at uh, Penn Station in New York. And you just realize it's like the, the conviction, the fervor of the people who knocked one of the great rail stations in the country down and put a fucking basketball arena on top of it and squished 600,000 people into sort of oh becoming goodness. the mole people, commuters. And it's, it, but just the, the surety that they had in their time explains why most downtowns don't exist the way they, they used to. Right. And it was like, great, now's the time when we knock it all down. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's have some sodas. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, open it up here so yeah, in good. the bagel shop we're making a couple of our own sodas and bottling them at button and co bagels and we make a celery soda and a strawberry soda right now um the celery is probably <laughs> and i must have <laughs> shook it maybe too much when we were walking over here so that's great audio um handmade sodas this these are the kinds of things that happen <laughs> All right. All right. That's what happens when you take uh, sodas on a leisurely walk around downtown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. There you go. All right. Well, we are we are in business. So, the celery soda is something I was inspired about when I, I did a trip to New York as part of research. Obviously, you go to New York for bagel research. It's a, it's a good place. Over the course of a weekend, I probably ate more bagels and more gluten than is uh, recommended. Um, so just basically like breakfast, lunch, dinner, and oh, meals in between. That's a good day. It was awesome. But I was inspired at... Um, Russ and Daughters Cafe, I love that place, um, by their shrubs and the different flavors. They had beet, and I think they may have had a celery shrub, but anyway, I was like, man, we gotta do a celery soda. Like, I, I love celery. I mean, you're not gonna be a fan of celery soda unless you like celery, but um, it's maybe one of my favorite flavors um, ever. Amazing, well, let's give it a try. I'm ready for it, Button & Co. Celery Soda. Well, shit, that's interesting. That's really good. I mean, you say you have to be a fan of celery, but of course, celery has this reputation of being somewhat neutral. Right. Doesn't I guess some people might hate it. They that would be a weird thing. It seems more like a, you know, a vessel for, you know, uh, for moisture and and very light flavor. But this somehow you've really like created something that's quite distinctive. I love it so much, and it's just, you know, effervescent, and uh, we do ferment our sodas, so they ha it has, like, a little bit of that kind of right. depth of funk of fermentation, um, a, I'm which I'm getting some slight, you know, something from the kombucha world, yes. like they would be selling some version of this uh, at the uh, highfalutin kombucha bodega right. <laughs> downstairs in Brooklyn. This, uh, you said, is not available. You have to come to Asheville to get this right Yes, now. you have to come into the bagel shop to get it. So um, it's not available anywhere else. Because we awesome. just like, 
you know, it's kind of a labor of love um, for the moment. And we bottle um, a few each week. And, you know, that's that's pretty much the story about them. That's awesome. Soda. Get your asses down to Asheville. <laughs> exactly. For some of this. All right. I want to try the strawberry now, which is that's that's a more. It's more conventional. Yes. You'll probably get like more of the children being like, oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah, we, we needed, I mean, you can't just do off-the-wall flavors. Yeah. Um, you've got to give something that the people will love. But it's is, also a fermented soda, so it really? has a little bit of that kombucha-like flunk, funk. Shit, that's also pretty good. It's definitely less like, I mean, it's just water sugar and strawberries. Right. <laughs> more of a straight-up one than the celery, which has a lot of... Ginger so it's more like savory. Onion. All right. Um, now we ate at, uh, at at Curate yesterday, your Spanish restaurant, and it's fucking great. Is there an Asheville connection, or is it just you've got this set of flavors and this this idea that people need to know this food? Um, but but why are you running such a great Spanish restaurant in the mountains of North Carolina? I think it's, um, you know, I mean, first of all, why Spanish in Spain? I'm not Spanish, but I fortunately, when I started working in the restaurant industry, the, one of the first restaurants I was working at was a Jose Andres restaurant, uh, Cafe Atlantico mini bar. Okay. And meeting him and then seeing all his other concepts, um, Haleo, at, which is Spanish. And then I worked at the Bazaar. Uh, in LA, the Bazaar by Jose Andres, which is also another Spanish concept. Um, I was introduced into Spain and Spanish culture. And then I met my husband, Felix Mayana, who okay. is Spanish, so, and uh, had the opportunity to go and live in Spain and work at um, El Bulli, one of the best restaurants in the world at the time. Yeah. You know, living there and working there um, and just living the day to day life in Spain. Yeah. I fell in love with the culture and the food and the style of eating and the concept of small plates and, you know, spending a Sunday afternoon, like jumping from one place to the next and having a couple of bites and a glass of sherry and then, you know, uh, moving on to the next one and watching the people, you know, walk by on, on, on a weekend day that... I really fell in love with, um, yeah. in addition to my husband. So yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes it's the whole package, right? That, you know, uh, makes makes that bond strong. And and so you were living in Rosas, or yes, I was okay. living in Rosas. Yeah. I lived there for about fourteen months, divided over two years. So uh -huh. um, yeah. yeah, well, that's a hell of a way to get introduced to Spaniards in general. Is uh, starting with Jose Andres, who is the um, the, the most, uh, I think the term is loked out <laughs> of all the Spaniards I've ever met. By the time this episode's out, the book will already be there. But we did a book with Jose recently that uh, my partner, Matt Goulding, had co-written called Vegetables Unleashed. I saw that, yeah. It's going to be great. It's like you will recognize the the lunacy kind of, you know, bouncing off the pages. I'm sure having having actually worked with him in the kitchens, he's, you know, we've got a recipe in there for compost potatoes, which is essentially just putting a bunch of small potatoes on a tray and tipping your compost on top of it and then baking it at, you know, 400 degrees for however long. And, you know, when Jose first 
started dumping garbage on food and then making food out of it, he was, you know, so pleased with himself. He's like, I think this might be the best thing I've ever done. You know, because he's like picking a potato out, kind of brushing the, you know, banana peel and the, <laughs> and That's the amazing. coffee grinds off of it. Uh, That's amazing. Don't know, tell the health department, but I love that. <laughs> I love that recipe it's, idea. It's so, That's it's just... Like, insane it, it's the full jose you know yeah. it's like well why can't it's just a salt bake or something you know <laughs> why can't we cover these why vegetables can't? in compost <laughs> so anyway uh i yeah i guess i can i can see that and you know it's funny because uh actually my my son who has I, he's been around jose uh i think also at some moments when jose has seen something that has gone wrong in the Spanish context, mm-hmm. like something is being presented as Spanish that is not Spanish, something is being presented as Valencian that is not Valencian. Right. You know, it's like uh, you know, God forbid somebody call uh, you know a, a, a thing with chorizo in it uh, a paella or whatever. You know, it's yes, like exactly these these exactly right. cardinal sins. And so he actually, when we walked in yesterday, and you have these high ceilings and this great tile, and you've got this jamoneria and you've got the cider space, and it, and he said like, is this is this real? Like, is this like what would Jose think about this place? And I was like, oh, this is real. Like, this is. And then we saw that first item on the menu is is uh, chips Jose's way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It feels like you are ready for the Jose Andre spot inspection at any moment. It's probably because you came up in this tradition and you know the watchful eyes. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that we are do, out there. We do not do like American Spanish fusion. You know, like it's very important to us to be in our concept at Cuerte to be representing Spain yeah. and um, and everything that it is in our best way. So, But the, the parts where you're kind of showing off this region a little bit are also super fun. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, it's ramp season. It is ramp season. <laughs> For one. So we've got grilled ramps with romesco sauce. Did you have that last night? You better believe yeah, it. Yeah, good. Oh, it's ramp season. We've been coming down Appalachia, so we we've been we've been ramping it up. Like uh, everybody's got ramps in their yeah, menu right exactly now. Exactly. I know it's amazing. It's one of my favorite favorite times of year. You know, it only happens for about a month, and you would be surprised at how many people actually don't know what a ramp is. Like I yeah. get that question. Like at the bagel shop, we puree the tops and whip it into cream cheese. And I saw then, the ramp cream cheese. Yeah. yeah. Um, a local, actually, a cream cheese that a local dairy is making for us, which is amazing. It's better than cream cheese. It's like cultured. It's it's Jesus. it's ridiculous. And then um, and then we pickle the bulbs and serve that on our uh, sable plate, which we smoke uh, the codfish and rub it in a sumac, and it's really delicious as well. But, wow. Um, so, we love ramp time. Yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, that is, um, I'm sorry, there's a part of that half of my brain that's Jewish is just having paroxysms right now. <laughs> you mentioned sable and like bagels and local cream cheese, and I lose uh, I lose all of my sense. Um, but it's funny because so what you're trying to do is take all that Russ and Daughters vibe that you got and then figure out what that Asheville version of it is. Exactly, yeah. It's about like, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, so bagels ha- like were just, you know, uh, like part of my daily routine and very important to me. And the same thing with Curate, like when we opened that, it was about figuring out what we felt like 
we wanted to bring to Asheville, like what we felt like the place that we would want to go every day was. And um, and that's how we settled on Spanish tapas also. That's also my professional cooking experience. So it all worked out. But yeah. then the bagel shop was because I was really missing bagels. And I know nothing about making bagels, you know, previously. I just like learned it and um, I'm super proud of the bagels we're making. They're like sourdough. We use a sourdough starter and we blend in local flour with an organic high gluten flour and a locally milled flour and then we boil them with sorghum syrup instead of barley malt syrup. Okay. So sorghum is traditional in this area of southern Appalachia Um, and then we bake them. So it's, it's about, it wasn't about bringing like New York to Asheville. It was more about like, how do we make bagels have a sense of place here in biscuit country that's not, you know, known for bagels. So (laughs) that's insane. And I appreciate that you went to New York to do your bagel research. I think you might have noticed that that's harder research to do than it should be. You know, like we've seen so many of the great bagel spots going out of business or losing their touch. Like it's hard to find in New York, like it's hard to find a good bagel. Absolute bagel on 106 is just packed yeah, all day long because they're still making good bagels. So yeah, so I think New Yorkers may feel like, you know, as you did in Jersey, that it's something of a birthright, but it's it's not, uh, it's, it's not guaranteed. No, it is, it is, it is definitely not. It's challenging making versus a restaurant concept where you're serving a full experience. People come in, they have a full meal and, beverage and everything um, to doing sandwiches and bagels, which are, I mean, you can only charge so much for a bagel. So. That's true. So your whole description of starters and boiling and sorghum and all of that, that's not really going to, it doesn't make it a $10 bagel. No, it does, <laughs> it, it, it it does not. No, no, no. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to keep it in reason. So uh, it's challenging, but we're, we're loving that challenge and the quality. I mean, I think we're making some of the best bagels in the country. How did you get to Asheville? So I was born in South Carolina. And uh, that's yeah. right. You were born in Conway. Yes. How, how did that happen? My grandfather was this, you know, had this amazing vision about retiring early. I, I admire him so much for figuring that out. But he set a budget, retired early. They bought a houseboat. They were in Chicago at the time. Took the houseboat uh-huh. down the Mississippi and like went around looking for the place that they would retire. And ended up in Conway because he was he was an engineer and um, was helping some people in that area like develop uh, their water systems and and things. I'm not I'm not totally clear on exactly what he was doing, but they ended up in Conway and on the Waccamaw River and just decided to stay there. Okay. I think it was a combination of him like looking at his budget and like figuring out where they could live yeah. so to make his retire early thing work and they had a little house on a dirt road that they named because there was nobody else there when they <laughs> first moved in there um liz lane after my mother it was on the corner and then later they named the like side street which turned into like a horse trail katie drive after me and which is really That's sweet amazing and um you know, that was where I was born. And my grandmother had a vegetable garden and things that I used to like help her with and cook. And she's amazing cook, um, as as is my mother as well. And then we lived in Greenville when I was a little girl. And 
uh, Greenville's only about an hour and a half from Asheville. So we used to come up here. My parents remembered coming up here quite a bit. And then we moved up to New Jersey, hence, as I said, hence bagels. But when we decided to open a restaurant, it was like we realized that we were opening our own business and we could really live anywhere. And um, where did we want to live and raise a family? And I thought about moving back towards the south. We looked around the northeast, but it's so expensive. Yeah. I mean, I've got a list if you want to walk down it. It starts with being expensive and, uh, and, you know, and somewhere around the New York Jets. uh, (laughs) Yes. You know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So we like, you know, looked or thought I I immediately I've had this connection and like kind of passion for the south and South Carolina because I feel like a um, southern uh, child, even though I grew up in the northeast. But um, so we started looking around this area and went all over North Carolina to different cities and came through Asheville. And it was just like like so many people who move and live in Asheville, they have the same feeling. It's just this moment of being like, wow, this is the place. Yeah, because it's got these beautiful rivers and mountains. And then there are all these amazing artisans who like brewers and potters and glass blowers and beekeepers and cheesemakers and you know i mean it's farmers it's really fascinating so it's like this artisanal dream but then there's also slinky hanging out in the park in case you feel too like in a bubble yes (laughs) like you do have the world coming through here oh yeah absolutely Uh, and it's also right-sized i'd imagine for certain people you're just like I don't want a million people. I don't want 10,000. <laughs> right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. The population's around like 80 or 85,000 now. So it still has that small town like feeling and you run into everybody you know at the farmer's market. But yeah. at the same time, we get um, a lot of uh, tourists so that can support the businesses in yeah. addition to local community. It's, it's just really kind of perfect. Combination. I, I do have a bone to pick, which was uh, sort of, it's definitely not your fault. Uh, it's not Asheville's fault. But, you know, we had in Key West, we had some sort of similar thing when I was growing up. It's a very small town, but actually the world kind of came to Key West, not on cruise ships, but they came because they were gay and they brought like theater and the arts and music and architecture and all of this culture that, uh, you know, kind of a redneck island off the Florida Straits wouldn't have had otherwise uh, as cruise ship culture kind of grew and and so on they have basically moved out and a lot of them have come to Asheville I would say it's very unscientific but there's been a heavy poaching of people who were my mother's close friends who were part of you know uh, the fabric of our lives growing up who said fuck this Key West is not what it used to be right we're coming we're gonna we're gonna take our best gay life to North Carolina <laughs> so there's obviously something that is there's some sort of homing beacon for people who want to live a certain way and, like you said, get, in, get into your crafts and your arts and, and live well and, and, but not be a banker to do so. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I actually think that the history of Asheville and the fact that it's smaller, it doesn't have a ton of professional industry jobs available. And so I actually think that is brewing the creativity. I mean, the creativity has always been there, but it helps because people want to live here because it's so beautiful and this kind of amazing, welcoming place to live. Yeah. Um, and they see an awesome quality of life, which is why we moved here. But to do that, you have to kind of create your own job, which creates entrepreneurs and people following their passion and like 
you know, doing like bean to bar chocolate, you know, or coffee roasting or, you know, a, a woman who geeks out on single origin flour, right? Like you would yeah. think like wheat from like one farm, you know, and how that tastes different from wheat from like another farm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's amazing. So, yeah. That's, um, yeah. That, that's, I guess, the promise of, uh, of the bounty. Now, but there are places that are not that far away that are some of the poorest zip codes yes. in the country. And how, like, what's that dialogue and, and how could it be better between Asheville as, as, as this really vibrant and kind of, you know, it's living its best life in here and, and kind of, you know, what people would, think of more broadly as Appalachia of like, right. you know, kind of generational poverty Appalachia. How is it, is it about, is it about working with farmers, making sure that they can stay on the land? Is it about buying ramps from people who are collecting in, in Cherokee, you know, national forest mm-hmm. or like, you know, how is that relationship? It's a combination of things. And you are right. You know, the nationwide statistic about uh, children with food insecurity is one in five. And here it's one in four. Yeah. We have an issue and a problem. And the community is trying really hard to help solve that. I mean, I think that the people who live here are very caring on a multiple levels and mana food bank is probably the number one like resource trying to combat hunger and uh, poverty in the area this may seem trivial but that's a great name for a food bank (laughs) mana it's awesome yeah and they're um and they they are doing amazing work and there's like the welcome table a downtown welcome table in Mm -hmm. Asheville that the restaurants participate in where we cook a meal each restaurant takes a turn and they serve meals at the downtown welcome table every Wednesday and Sunday and it's not like a soup kitchen it's actually a whole different experience where people come in and they sit down at round tables and they get served family style on real plates and platters yeah. with glasses and they share and partake in this meal experience and the restaurants in town we take turns providing and cooking that meal so wow. that the people feel like it's it's about dignity it's about like being able to sit down and have a meal that you you can't come in curate and yeah. and be able to enjoy the food so we come to them yeah. and yeah kind of create this experience with these amazing dishes and things that they get to enjoy and feel like everybody else. And that, yeah. that's, I think that's, you know, one of the ways that the restaurant community is is trying to contribute to the problem that we have. Yeah. You know, somebody said to me when I was at the downtown welcome table and sat at, a, I sat at a table and you, like anybody can sit and, and eat and enjoyed Um, a meal next to people that I would never typically have the opportunity to talk to or connect with. And um, somebody at the table told me that Asheville's amazing because you can get three meals a day, you know, here, um, if you're smart about where you go and like what Mm -hmm. you do, you know, all week, seven days a week. And, you know, some people would think that isn't right or not fair but honestly everybody like everybody deserves to eat yeah right you know? yeah it's like basic need food right and it is um how can you get a job if you're if you're hungry you yeah know? or you don't have a home yeah or schools i mean you right know, we're 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 all trying to raise kids and just imagining uh you know imagining sending sending kids to school without breakfast is shocking and yet uh like daily and everywhere yes um so tell me about your kids growing up here now in Asheville. You've you've had these different identities and different lives that you've led. Uh, they're going to be 
citizens of Asheville? Are they are they they're also Spaniards <laughs> in somewhere in their heart? Like what do you what do you see for them growing up and how you know are they going to stay here? I know they're real young, but they are real young. But they they're de- we're definitely staying. They both have dual citizenship in with Spain, yeah. which is amazing. So right. when we go to Spain, I'm the one who has to take the long line because <laughs> I don't get to do the shortcut with my husband and kids who get to go through the short citizen line. So I feel like the outsider, but uh, so they're very fortunate in that way. Um, but. As far as Asheville is concerned, the reason we moved here was for them and to be able to have kids and enjoy life and kind of grow our family and be able to have restaurants but have time as well with our children. And and we work an insane amount, but I do feel like that is happening, and yeah. which is great. Um, I also feel like the school systems <laughs> here are um, very caring. My daughter is in preschool. And she's like teaching me things about like emotions and oh, like yeah. just like it's amazing. Um, my husband Felix at the dinner table is telling me a story about how he had gotten in an argument with somebody and the person was like mad and you know he was telling the story and my daughter just chimed in. And she said, "Poppy, that's not about you." And I was like, "That's amazing." What? She's four. You know, she was right. three actually at the time that yeah. she told us this, and I was like what you know what are that the school that you are at is like blowing my mind yeah. um so anyway I, and that's we're, also, we're staying yeah, that's that's that is that age where that the eq is like the first thing to come in like they just are socially and emotionally much more aware which is scary sometimes because they they'll also you know absorb a lot of your bullshit if you uh if you aren't careful like they're just very keyed in yes. um for me that was also one of the reasons why i was so psyched to talk to you is with all the talk that they have in the restaurant industry about equity and, and making sure that you know women find an, an industry that they belong in and can work well, I think I think you're still pretty exceptional in the fact that you are a woman who's running a not just a restaurant but a restaurant group, and you're raising young kids, and you're doing it in a way that that you know, as you're saying, there should be more of it. It shouldn't be that hard of a dream on some level, but I guess that that might come back to Asheville too. Is like this is a place where you can you can be the person that you should be able to be. I feel strongly that the restaurant industry has to change. Across the country, everybody is talking about a labor issue, you know, having trouble finding employees. And I think that that is in part, in large part, due to the fact that the industry isn't seen as a long-term career, right? Like people come in because we've been known for low wages, no benefits, you know, um, it's like who would set up shop to like have a family and like try to create a career in a restaurant in that environment. And there's all these scandals coming out about, you know, um, sexual harassment and not paying people for their overtime work. I mean, really ugly stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then drugs and like alcohol and shift drinks and like it's it's disgusting actually. And yeah. so. I think that as an industry, we have to change that. We have got, and that's what we are trying to do. We have got to follow every other profession, you know, in offering people a place where they can grow and live their life and have kids and take them through their different phases. It can't just be a place for people in their 20s. Right, to just get chomped up totally and spat back out oh, into terrible. another career yeah and then we're creating people with with uh, you know by doing that you're creating people with like 
alcohol problems and things that they're going to have issues with for the rest of their life. And, you know, instead we should be trying to help them solve those issues. Yeah, it's it's worth noting, though, that, that there are so many industries that uh, that are increasingly in competition to treat it, it's their own people like trash. So <laughs> restaurants are certainly not alone. And, that's and true. It, But somebody, you know, it, it, it has been remarkable. I don't think that's just our perspective, but, you know, the, the, the pace of Me Too in the restaurant culture shows that f- food and hospitality can be a place that actually demonstrates for other people what accountability might look like. Yeah. Right for all the other industries, because Lord knows many of them have yet to face their own reckoning, uh, even even to the small degree in which it's happened in restaurants. Um, That's exactly right. So people should pay attention. We hear about those f- high profile, the few like high profile situations, but if it's happening there, yeah, I mean, just like multiply that by I don't even know what factor. What the fuck do you think is going down exactly. at the IHOP? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like everywhere yeah. across yeah. the entire country. Oh, man. Um, we had uh, at the IHOP in down in Key West, we had a restaurant manager who would bite the woodwork. He got so mad. That's when he wasn't chucking trays at people. And there was just, it was like a, the, the frame of the door is just full of his bite marks. And that's just like, that, that was just crazy. It was just I mean, regular. That's what my like teething toddler does, right? <laughs> but he's like teeth. He's like got like teeth like coming through his gums. So I understand that. But to bring somebody uh, into an adult into yeah. biting Some, things is uh, somebody needs to do that IHOP story. I mean, I love IHOP. That. I even love the IHOP down in Key West. And that guy, thankfully, <laughs> has moved on a long time ago. Uh, Katie Button, thank you so much for sitting and talking with me. It's been uh, it's been amazing. And thank you for for feeding us last night. That. Uh, that was just, that's a, a tremendous restaurant. And I think I'm going to go and just chase you back to Bagel, uh, to Button and Co. Bagels and get a bagel, actually, <laughs> now that you've been talking about Sable and stuff. You should do that. It's you should get happen. the Sable. All right. Let's, go, let's go get it. Uh, all Great. right. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. The Trip from Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Emily Marinoff was our producer for this episode. Taffy Mokunyadze was our consulting producer. Alexa Van Sickle is our editor. Theme music by Dan the Automator. Episode illustration by Daisy D. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Thank you to Matt for talking up Katie and making the introduction. Next up on this feed, we are going to be back in Berlin with an all-new Everywhere episode recorded just before COVID hit with Anton Newcomb frontman of the Brian Jonestown Massacre. We go deep into it. He is an iconoclastic dude, and I think you will enjoy the episode. Coming Monday, October 19th, from Berlin, we will meet you there. <laughs>